Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And it reads, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Assyria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had that had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed as the shepherds said to them. But Mary, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the Christmas story. And I'll be honest, as I prepare for this, I I couldn't help but realize that Advent in and of itself is one series where each week plays on the past. And so to put together a uh, series where I didn't preach last week, and Pastor Seth did and did a wonderful job. There was some stairs that were needed to lead up to this week, and so I will tell you now as we kind of walk through this, I'm going to fill in the blanks for you on some stuff that won't be on your outline, but it will help to bring some context. 
But as we read this passage, perhaps you've read this passage several times. Maybe you've heard it every year. Maybe it's something you just kind of do. Or maybe Christmas is something that really has had no Christian context in your home or in your life. But today you're here by invitation of a friend or a family member. Or you just stumbled upon us online. Let me just say that as we walk through this, sometimes, I recognize this as much as you, as the season comes around, it can become kind of a, a mundane kind of practice that we routinely do every single year. In fact, you may have heard these words before, maybe even heard them already this year, read them yourself and thought, yeah, okay, I get it, I get it. But can I just tell you that this story, this historical account is just as powerful, just as transformative, just as important and key to us today as it was last year and the year before and every year since it actually took place. You know, every single individual, specifically within the context of this story and beyond, played a specific part, part of the cast of characters to step forward, to be faithful to God's calling on their life so that they might be part of this redemptive act of bringing the one true item, the one true real engagement, the one true gift of love to this world. Our world defines love in many different ways. But specifically in scripture, love is defined by one act, one word, and that is Jesus. Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his invitation are, in fact, the definition of love. You'll find in your note guide this question, what is Advent? And what does Advent have to do with Christmas? Where does it come from? Where does it fall into? Advent specifically, it, it means coming or arrival. Advent is a, a time of expectation, a time of waiting, a time of anticipation, a time of longing for something to happen, right? Maybe in, in, in more objective terms, you might think, uh, you know, you, you have an Advent moment when you're, when you're waiting for, for dinner to get done and you smell it. You're like, man, I am in this Advent moment longing for this meal. And sometimes that can seem like an eternity. I'm in this Advent moment for this semester to finally end. Let me get this test over with, check this class off. You know, I enjoyed it for at least the first 10 minutes and then the rest of the semester has been rough. You're in an Advent moment waiting for him to pop the question. You're in an Advent moment waiting for that raise or this season to end. An Advent moment waiting for that person to say that thing to you. Let me just say right now, there is an experience of Advent that takes place and that did take place leading up to this person, this, this, this moment that we experience this person of Jesus coming into the world. In fact, that Advent moment was much longer than us in this temporal time waiting for that one thing to happen. In fact, it lasted for nearly 2,000 years. And this, this, this uh, the, or actually longer actually, the, this moment of when is this Messiah going to come? We've heard about him. We know this is going to happen. You know, Advent is not simply or merely just an extension of Christmas. It's much, much larger than that. It actually links the past and the present and the future. The past recognizing those who have waited for so long. The present recognizing that we here in this moment experience the gift, the light that we, we know to be true and to be real. And also the Advent moment we're in now. Whether you know this or not, of waiting for the second coming, for Christ to return once again. His birth, the future second coming, 
You know, in this Advent series, we reflect upon the past, we reflect upon and, and experience the present, we look to the future, we experience the traditions, and we also thank God and proclaim His goodness for all the things that He has made new. That said, why is this series called Noel? And without the uh, long introduction I had last week, I'll summarize it for you. Noel is an interesting word. In fact, it has several different meanings, four particularly or specifically. If you know the French language at all, you probably will correct me on this, but I'm going to share with what I know and then also was confirmed by Wikipedia, and so that'll be where we go from here. <laughs> Last week, we should have looked at the hope of the good news and what this actually looks like and how Noel actually means good news. It means gospel. It means this news that we can all experience. We can, we can run to the mountaintops, and perhaps you've had good news before. And the thing about good news is good news doesn't typically stay with us. It's shared. It's experienced. It's celebrated. Can I tell you, we've experienced the greatest good news story of all, and that is the gospel, the coming of Jesus. This week we explore the second coming, one that comes with no surprise, the second meaning I should say that comes with no surprise, and that is Christmas. And Noel, today I'll give you these together. Noel means good news, and it means Christmas. The extent of my French, and perhaps this is another correction moment, Jux Noel. Merry Christmas. That's the only time you'll hear me say that. Unless you come to second service. I'll say it one more time. <laughs> we define these cast of characters in, in several different ways. Leading up to this passage that I just read, we'll hear about two individuals who, were, who kept hope alive. They recognized the hope of the good news. Simeon and Anna, two elders of the faith who were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. We see this context of peace, the peace that was received in the lives of the shepherds, those who heard the angels, who were scared, who were fearful, but felt and experienced goodness and comfort from the presence of Jesus. We see a mother's joy in Elizabeth and a, and a, and a uh, mother's joy in Mary. And we experience the, the coming of the Magi and the important recognition of the passage to come, which recognizes the fact that even strangers, those who weren't Jews, but Gentiles can also experience the goodness of God's love. This is love united. All individuals coming together to culminate this story of the coming of Jesus. And God revealed several things about his love specifically in this passage and specifically through the actual action of coming into this world. And so we're going to walk through and explore these. The first one is this. Jesus Christ is love embodied. He is love defined. He is the person, uh, fully God and fully man, who is lived out and, and revealed the one true act of love and the one true entity of love. Jesus is love everywhere in Scripture. He is love anywhere you read. Everything you read in Scripture points towards the love that Christ gives. Whether it's before His coming or after or the actual indication of His coming, Jesus is love. John the, the Apostle eloquently described the love of God in the fourth chapter of 1 John. And it reads like this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. 
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into this world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that we loved, that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he is in, in, and he in us. He's given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. 1 John 4, 7 through 16. This love is authentic. This love goes beyond uh, the things that we see in this world and the specific things that are tangible and that are physical, but it's transformative and it goes beyond into eternity. It goes beyond just this season of Christmas, this season of Advent. I had a friend in college that worked at the front desk in our dorm, and basically the front desk was in charge of distributing, uh, you know, toilet paper or snacks or those kind of things. If somebody wanted to come buy something, they would give you ping pong paddles if you wanted to play in the lobby there. And one of the other things they were in charge of was the music. And this friend of mine who thought it was really funny thought, okay, well, I don't really want to answer questions about or be a DJ or answer questions about the song that I'm going to pick. So he played the same song over and over and over again for 12 hours on his shift. He worked actually my shift and another friend's and his own because he needed some money. And so for 12 hours, he played Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney. And perhaps you know this song. I don't know. Uh, you know, you, you think about Christmas, and I feel like what happens with movies and with songs a lot of times is they become a Christmas song because we hear them this time of year, but they have little to do with Christmas or an understanding of Christmas just because there's snow on the ground. Oh, that's a Christmas movie, right? <laughs> he played this wonderful Christmas time. Let me just read you a few lyrics that I, 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 I pull out today as we think about this love embodied, this love that Christ brought. It says, the feelings here that only comes this time of year. And this indicates an interesting thing to me, this recognition that the understanding, and perhaps in a worldly perspective or here in these lyrics, is that we can only experience Jesus this time of year. Can I tell you right now that Scripture does not in any way indicate that the only time you can experience Jesus is now in this season? Now you can, and if, if you don't know Christ today, or perhaps you're, you're, you're looking to step further in your relationship with him, you're curious, I, I would encourage you now is a, is a good a time as any. It's, it's actually the best time because the present is the best time uh, for, for experiencing Christ for, for any moment of, of growth. But what I will say is this, that God goes far beyond a simple season, a simple time, a simple feeling. In fact, John tells us that God is love. God personifies it, that, that his love, his nature, everything he has, has been shown through Jesus. And Jesus didn't just live during the Christmas season, and then we put him away with the rest of the nativity set, and we get him out next year when it gets cold again. 
No, Jesus is here with us through the person of the Holy Spirit every moment of every day in every season. Jesus Christ is love embodied. We are filled in his love, not just now in church, but Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and the weary Friday and even Saturday when all the things are going on, we still are filled and fulfilled with his love. We live in him and he lives in us and we count on God's love because it won't leave us nor forsake us. Get this, God provided for us an opportunity even after his son left this world, ascended into heaven, provided us opportunity to still live in his midst through the person of the Holy Spirit. It fills us, it fuels us, he's there for us, and he enables us not only to love him, but to love others. And perhaps if you read this passage with the context of recognizing that it's a communal act of love, that Christmas isn't something that we are to celebrate on our own, and Advent isn't something that we anticipate on our own or that we long for on our own, but instead it is a communal journey together, we recognize the fact that God has called us to something more. And that brings us to the second part, and that is this, that love defines and propels us. Love draws action. Love calls us to step forward. Jesus brought his reconnection and, and, and restoration to love himself and also for us to, in, as he entered into this world, to love others in return. Near the end of his earthly ministry, as, we get, as he gathered his 12 disciples in the Passover meal, he engaged in something that we're going to do here later in the service. And he tells them together, a new command I give you. And I'm sure these guys are sitting around the table thinking, we know the scripture, we know the Old Testament books of the law, and you're going to bring us something new now at this point. We've seen you do some outlandish things and some great teaching, but typically it's something where you're, you're indicating, you're bringing forth truth on something we already have heard before. But now a new command I give you, and it's very simple, it goes just like this. Love one another. Is that new to anybody in here? As I have loved you, so that you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Guess what? If you love one another. John chapter 13. And as Jesus teaches his disciples, he wants to make sure that they love like he does. And the question he poses to them is, what are you going to do with this love that I've given you? Because to love like Christ doesn't mean that we bottle it up or we have this fun, warm feeling or we just celebrate Christmas and then we move on. No, it, it, it propels this action so that we love others, perhaps even love those within our path that we might not always get along with. Those that might not agree with us, those that might be difficult or those that we've had a falling out with. And here's the most important part. How will people know that we are followers? Jesus makes it clear, and perhaps you know the answer here, by our love that we show to one another. How will people know that we are Christians? By our love for Christ and for others. 
Love is what defines us, in fact. Several years ago, I was at a conference, and there was a, a speaker that came to share, and the speaker had had a moral failure, and it had been a while since he'd walked through reconciliation. They had him come to share. They did kind of an interview-type thing with him, and they wanted to, him to, to share about his past and share about the things he'd experienced and share about the way that God had brought forth this, this new uh, light within him and, and, and revived his spirit and his soul. And as he went through this whole thing, I could hear people around me whispering, and at this specific conference, it was mostly Christian leaders, pastors, Christian business people. And as they're, they're talking, I was catching little snippets here and there from people. And the things that they were sharing were, were very, very judgmental. They were doubting his sincerity. They were doubting that there really was a change. Was, they were kind of throwing stones verbally at him. And I couldn't help but sit there thinking, wow, how can you judge his heart and what God's done in him? And certainly I don't want to get into an entire sermon here on what it means to judge and what it means to actually keep people accountable in the context of what that all looks like. But here's the, the one thing to, to pull from this. The church hasn't always done a great job of having this balance between helping people in their walk and simply being outwardly judgmental. You know, we're, we're the ch church body, and I get that. We don't always do a great job of this, and we can, we can recognize this within our own lives. And I'm not suggesting in any way that we accept sin or the sin around us. I'm not, you know, suggesting in any way that we are naively say, okay, just kind of go ahead and do whatever you want. What I'm doing here is I'm sharing from the Word still uh, the fact that we can still love sinners uh, and, and just as Christ did, but at the same time we can reflect upon, we can recognize that there's sin. It's easy for us to point the finger at somebody else and the wrongs that they've done, or even point the finger if we look at Christian history and say, I can't believe how bad they did before. We're, we're kind of getting it now and, and to kind of pat ourselves on the back on the things that we've done, but to recognize at the same time that God calls us to love even in the midst of someone else's brokenness. God calls us to love, even in the midst of someone else's, their, their, their plight, their life, but we might not understand, we might not always get it, we might not always know what they're walking through, but God calls us to love. And of course, none of us are perfect, none of us uh, as individuals or even as a collective of a church have it all together, but what God calls us to do is to step out and to love one another in whatever way possible. Each of us certainly has opportunities to do that this Advent season, this Christmas season, to allow God's love to, throw, to, to flow through us as we engage with those around us. And perhaps a challenge that goes along with that is to look for opportunities where people are provided or presided in your, your midst, in your sphere of influence, where you can reveal, where you can show, where you can express God's love to them without being judgmental, without pointing at some specific wrong in their life, but instead, which may be the way that you have to do that in some depth of relationship, but how can you express, how can you grant, how can you show the love of God? And on that note, we jump to the third one, which is this. Love empowers us to cross the borders. There's a lot of journeys that take place in this specific passage. Joseph and Mary, they, they make the journey along with many others to a specific town for registration. The, the shepherds make a journey after they're startled, after they come into the spirits, uh, the, 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 uh, the, um, the presence of the Spirit and the Spirit's uh, power within the context of, of the heavenly host. And so all these journeys are taking place, but there's an actual call to movement. There's a call to step forward. There's a call to do something. 
There were divided times that we see specifically in the context of, of this moment where Jesus is living in a place where there's a division between uh, the, the government, there's a division between the military and, and the people, there's a division between Jew and Gentile, there's many different divisions taking place. And we recognize right now in our context that there are many divisions in our world right now that we see and experience. Can I say there's been too much of an us versus them mentality since Jesus' day and even further back in history, and at the same time, there still is. It's not why Jesus' teaching was so radical. Instead, God's love is so radical. In Matthew chapter 5, it reads like this. Jesus said, you have heard that it, is, that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And I'm sure the people around kind of, yeah, amen, of course. So yeah, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus goes on and says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And those that are like, yeah, yeah, or, wait a minute, what? Love my enemy, pr pray for those who persecute me. No. But that's a, that's a hard teaching to receive. That's a hard thing to receive because our, our desire in many cases, well, you wronged me. And so I, I don't really want to help you. I don't want to be, I don't want to be in any way formative. Can I, can I just say there's something that takes place when you pray for those who have wronged you. There's something that takes place within you when you pray for those who have persecuted you or torn you down in some way. And it's not just about the, the, the logistics of walking through that prayer, but it's about a greater and a deeper connection with the Savior, with the one who has granted an opportunity for you and I to experience the greatest relationship we can ever experience. And that's with the creator of the world. Jesus didn't only tear down the walls of division at his birth. He continually reached across the chasm of separation and exclusion to bring forth opportunity for all people to be united with his love and under the umbrella of his goodness. Jesus met with tax collectors and a Samaritan woman. He, he engaged with Roman soldiers. One of Jesus' most powerful stories was this kind of unexpected love that comes in action through the story of the Good Samaritan. You probably have heard this story before if you've been around church at all. There was a, a man who was beaten up by, by thieves and he was left to die on the road. And, and, and along comes a priest and this priest sees him and he's like, oh, well, I can't really touch him. I can't really help him out. He's kind of, you know, he's beaten up. He's bloodied. He's a mess. So I'll just kind of pass to the other side and kind of act like I didn't see him because I got a lot going on this week. I checked my day planner and I got, you know, this meeting and I've got this to going on and I got to do all these things. So I'll just kind of leave him there. Somebody else will take care of it. And he moves on. And then his assistant comes along, another assistant uh, priest, maybe not his assistant, but an assistant priest comes along, so to speak, and he sees the same thing, kind of has the same reaction. Well, I got a lot of business to take care of, and I'll just be on my way. And then all of a sudden, this Samaritan comes along and sees this person beaten and wounded. And, and instead of running away or rightfully in his mind saying, you know what, this is somebody else's problem, he stops. And he bandages the wounds, and he puts him on his donkey— which there's some symbology there when it comes to, to Christ coming on a donkey. He puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn. He puts him in the inn. He says, look, you take care of him. You feed him. I'll pay for his stay. I'll pay for everything. I will pay to help him receive the care and the reconciliation that he needs. And at this point, I'm paraphrasing Luke chapter 10. At this point, he brings this man to a place where he can experience goodness in a way that he would have never been able to experience on his own. 
He stepped across the chasm and said, let me help you. And the reason this is so profound is because, and, and so astounding is because Jews and Samaritans didn't mix at that time. You would have never expected this man to step across and say, I'm going to help you regardless of where you come from, regardless of your past. Jesus was crossing the divide and he reached across the cultural, the spiritual, the political, the radical divisions and calls us to do the same in our day in this moment. Christmas is a time where hearts are open, where those that are typically hardened towards the gospel or hardened towards some sort of faith, uh, they, they, they bring forth this curiosity, this understanding that, hey, there maybe there is something more. What is this all about? It's not just about this Santa Claus or decorations or, or the, the festivities. There's got to be something deeper. And since, since this is a time of curiosity, it's also a time for us as the church to be the church in love. And to step out and to share through our, our words and our actions an opportunity for others to be able to experience the same joy, the same peace, the same hope, the same love that we've experienced. Remember 1 John chapter 4 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You know, oftentimes we put up these borders, we put up these walls, we put up these divides... We dig these chasms because we want to separate ourselves because of fear. Fear of what might happen, fear of, of not having the right answers, fear of doing something we shouldn't, or fear of, of stepping in and not doing something that we should. And, re, and, the, and, the, and the, the, the way to recall, or the way to understand that is that God eliminates fear in our lives. Jesus' love is fearless, love that calls us and enables us to cross the borders and tear down the barriers. Love overcomes the fear of, of the other, the person we don't always understand, and helps us to see their perspective and their understanding. I'm going to move along a little bit more quickly now. We'll transition into a time of communion. Says there, there's a humility in love, a willingness to put someone else first. And that humility is not easy, and it doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come as, as an intrinsic thing in many cases outside of the context of who God is and what he's done in our life. Sometimes love means taking a simple step of building that bridge as a gesture or an invitation to be able to experience love with somebody else, to be able to experience and reveal love to somebody else. Sometimes it's, it's being uh, willing to listen to someone else and not defend or to be open to hearing them, not to, to choose to see someone else as a person, equally loved by God, created in the image of God, welcome in his presence, equally drawn and propelled out of his miraculous, divine, and all-consuming love. Sometimes it means having to be, not having to be right or to win the fight. This is God's love. It's his gift. Love empowers us to cross the borders. And finally, the love of Christmas <clears throat> what is the love of Christmas? The love of Jesus is the love of Christmas. And the love of Jesus propels a bold and selfless response. The love of Christmas is not passive. The love of Christmas is not saying, okay, well, let's sing some songs and have some cocoa and open some gifts and move on. No, the love of Christmas is not passive. It moves beyond that and reveals the fact that we, as the church, hold the one true, real, eternal gift and this gift is not one that you, you have to go to the store and, 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 and uh, return or exchange. It's not a gift that, that comes and you're like, oh man, it's not going to get here until after Christmas. I can't believe it. I ordered it a month ago. No, this gift is always right on time. 
This gift is one size fits all, which means God died for us through the person of Jesus for every person, no matter your background, no matter where you're at, even today in this moment. Friends, we are rapidly approaching Christmas Day. 21 shopping days left, in case you wanted to know. And I invite and challenge you to rediscover Christmas this Advent season by rediscovering the overwhelming, the all-encompassing, the all-welcoming love of God. Perhaps this year it's time to lay down your arms and say, you know what, I am going to engage with my family in a way that I never have. I'm going to reveal a love to my extended family that typically I come with a wall up and say, you know what, you're not going to talk, we're not going to engage. Perhaps this is the year where you, you step out and you say, I'm going to serve in some way. I'm going to give during this season so somebody else can experience the goodness of God. Perhaps this year is the first time you reflect upon the reality that this is the moment that we engage the, 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 the fact that God came into this world to bring us, to, to give us, to, for us to be able to experience His real love through the person of Jesus. And wherever you come today, whatever your expression is today, may you do so with the recognition of God's goodness, His love, His provision, His way of engaging in hope, which hope in a lot of ways... Hope in a lot of ways is, is expressing and expecting something that's never happened before. Something that seems bleak and impossible. And those stories are out there and perhaps you've experienced that before. Actually, on December 7th, 1914, Pope Benedict XV suggested a temporary hiatus from the Great War that has inflicted much of the planet. He did so with the request for them to celebrate Christmas. The warring countries refused to create an official ceasefire, but on Christmas, the soldiers in the trenches declared their own unofficial truce. Perhaps you've heard the story, but here's what happened on, on, uh, on Christmas Eve, 1914. So starting on Christmas Eve, many Germans and British troops fighting in World War I sang Christmas carols to each other across the lines. And at certain points, the Allied forces uh, even heard brass bands joining the Germans in their joyous singing. At the first light of dawn on Christmas Day, some German soldiers emerged from their trenches and approached the Allied lines across no man's land, calling out Merry Christmas in their enemy's native tongue. At first, the Allied soldiers feared it was a trick, but Seeing the Germans unarmed, they climbed out of their trenches and shook hands with the enemy soldiers. The men exchanged presents of cigarettes and plum pudding and sang carols and songs. Some Germans lit Christmas trees around their trenches, and there was even a documented case of soldiers from opposing sides playing a good-natured game of soccer. One German lieutenant recalled how marvelously wonderful, yet how strange it was. The English officers felt the same way about it. Thus Christmas, the celebration of love, managed to bring mortal enemies together as friends for a time. This journey of Advent into this moment of Christmas is a unifier. And it's not a unifier because... We all have the same tree or because of the, the lights that are around us. It's a unifier because of the one who came, the birth we celebrate, God incarnate, Jesus Christ. 
Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless. God bless.